I'm glad some people are excited. I'm excited too. Uh, I really, really appreciate the opportunity to share with you today, and I'm just excited about what God wants to teach us uh, from His Word and just some of the principles about uh, just walking in the Spirit in family life. It's something that I've been uh, seeking ever since I got married about 30 years ago. Um, I just thought, wow, I need to know how to do this with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I can't do this on my own. I learned that very quickly, um, and I, I, I'm excited to share about that. I have to admit that when I was first asked to speak this message, the Bride of Frankenstein, I thought, wow, <laughs> what do they think of me? <laughs> they must have put a camera in my living room or something, and they know that I'm like... Sometimes I can be a monster, really. <laughs> and then I thought, well, Frankenstein was the man, so maybe they know something about my husband, you know, or whatever. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but then I thought, no, I guess it's probably because I'm a marriage and family counselor. <laughs> so um, anyway, the things we think in our brains, right? Um, well, I'm excited to share with you just some of the things that God um, kind of had me when I was asked to speak. I said, I, I need to boil this down to just some simple principles that, um, that we could all apply to our lives, even as an individual person, a single person, whatever your status in life. Um, basically, marriage is, to me, just like a microcosm of uh, how we treat other people up close and personal, because in a marriage, you know each other better than you know anybody else. They know you better than anyone knows you, and there's the opportunity to either um, press in with the Lord and learn how to love each other, or really struggle, and, and I've done both. <laughs> and I'm sure we can all relate to that. But there's just some principles and things that God's been teaching me, even most recently as I work with married couples, as I walk through my own marriage and family life. Um, there's some things that I just feel like God's been wanting to reveal to me. Um, I've recently felt called to open a counseling center in Durham, New Hampshire, and we opened up in September. And the Lord gave me the name of the counseling center as kind of a theme of just what he's been doing in my life and what I feel like he wants to do in the lives of his people. The name is Overflow, and it's based on John 10.10, where um, Jesus says after, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, which I, we could see a lot of that around us in our society. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life to the full until you overflow. And by that, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. Um, I've been thinking a lot about that. It still boggles my mind that he would choose to dwell in me when I receive him as my Lord and Savior, that Jesus Christ literally <laughs> chooses to dwell in this clay vessel, in this earthenware broken pot that I am, that Jesus would choose to live in me is mind-boggling. I could probably think about that for days and hours and weeks and still not really grasp that completely, but I want to grasp it more, and I want to help other people grasp that more, because I, I believe it's the key to victory in our lives, and it's very clear in Scripture that um, it's something that was revealed to the apostles, and it changed the world <laughs> when they really got a hold of that. Um, so let's look at that a little bit more. Um, one of the things I've seen in working with people in relationship struggles, whether it even be parenting or marriage, is that a lot of times how we view ourselves affects that relationship, our personal identity, our identity in Christ. Um, I think a lot of times we're very aware of our sinful nature, um, and we have a hard time reconciling that with the fact that, that Jesus lives in us. Like, how can both be true at the same time? 
Well, they are. <laughs> and I think we just, the more we can accept that and agree with God about who we are, I think the healthier we can be. So I'm a sinner saved by grace. Um, Jesus covered a multitude of sin in me and everyone and the world. <laughs> and I thank him for that. I thank him so much for that. Um, in Song of Songs, the bride and interacting with the bridegroom becomes aware of her nature as she's interacting with him in a close intimate relationship and says, and becomes aware of the fact that she's dark and that he says, yet lovely to her. So a lot of times we come to the Lord and we're like, Lord, I'm dark. And he's like, but you're lovely. <laughs> you're lovely. And that's exciting to me. Um, I once heard it said, and I've embodied this truth because I, I know it is in, in the word of God, that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin anymore. It's gone. When he looks at me, he sees Jesus, his son, in me. So that's who I am. That's who you are. And we can walk in that awareness, and it literally will transform anything. Because when I'm aware of that, I'm a nice person. <laughs> you know what I mean? When I'm, I'm like, Jesus loves me. Like, I'm the best. I mean, not in, a <laughs> not in a cocky way, though. But just like, he loves me no matter what, you know? It just transforms how I interact with people, how I talk to people, how I handle things that come at me, hurts, rejections, wounds, any, any words that might hurt me, it gives me a little bit of a defense against that in a healthy way, right? So I think that's what God wants, and I see it, it helping couples when we talk about these kind of things. I see it helping couples to learn how to love each other when we talk more about, well, how does God love you right where you're at? You know, a lot of times couples will come in and talk to me and everyone's aware of their faults. <laughs> they're aware of each other's faults. They're aware of their own faults. And they're like, what do we do? <laughs> you know, well, Jesus covers a multitude of sin. Again, my theme, my theme lately. So how can you allow Jesus to cover that thing in you? How can you press into his grace, receive his grace, and then dish it out to your fellow um, spouse or friend or coworker? or child. <laughs> um, I think about children a lot of times, you know, they don't always give us, you know, the fun feelings <laughs> as a parent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes they're like saying stuff that's really hard to swallow. Sometimes half of it's true and half of it's not true. And that's where I'm like, Lord, okay, let me take this from my child and say, is, is that really true or is that really not true? Like when my children tell me I'm not a good listener. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I sit for hours and listen to people all the time. What are you talking about? But I'm like, wait a minute. Like, sometimes I don't listen to them as well as I should. I'm busy. I'm doing the dishes. I'm doing the laundry. So to be able to not be defensive about that, to not, to not react to that and think they're being disrespectful just because they're giving me feedback, those kind of things are what God's been speaking to me lately um, are really, really important. I'd like to look at uh, Colossians 1.27 just to further illustrate this point. Um, I, had, I had it put up in the Passion Translation version, which is not, it's not the version I memorized. I, I memorized things when I was first um, getting to know the Lord. I did some memorization, not a lot, but I always memorized in the New International Version, which is awesome. Most recently, for some reason, the Lord's been drawing me to this particular translation, and I think it's because he's wanting to just reveal some different things to me, so I thought I would share that with you. So it says, living within you is the Christ, 
who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. Everyone. <laughs> Why wouldn't people want to know that? It's amazing. Not only did he make us in his image, but then he embeds Christ within us. It it's blows my mind. blows my mind. So when we look at people, we can see them the same way as we become aware of how he sees us. Um, I want to share with you a dream I had. And I, I feel like this dream was given to me probably 20 years ago. But it was like the tip of the iceberg. And God is still revealing it to me. It's amazing sometimes. Um, when he speaks to me that way, it overrides my brain. So, you know, I'll be thinking or worrying about something, and then when I'll have a dream one night, and it just settles me, and it's just like, okay, that's what you're saying, God. So, um, and I'm, it was a season where I was actually praying for him to speak to me, and, and I had this dream. And in my dream, I was a bride, and I was already married, but I didn't get the sense that it was like my own wedding and I had on a wedding dress, I had on a veil, I was all ready for my wedding, but then I looked down at myself, and I realized the dress was really dirty, like stained, wrinkled, my veil was crumpled up, and I just looked terrible, I mean, the, the attire looked terrible, and my hair was messed up too, so yeah, everything was like not how you would want it on your wedding day, put it that way, and it's kind of like those dreams where, you know, you wake up and you're like half-dressed, and you have to get on the school bus or so. It was one of those dreams where like, you're caught, like, oh no, I'm getting married and I look terrible. And then I saw a chamber, like a, almost like a, a little room. There was an aisle and then there was a room and I, for some reason I knew in my spirit that Jesus was in the room. And I saw him looking through a window at me, like waiting for me, like I was his bride. And he was waiting in, in a chamber. And I just, felt like I was supposed to walk, just walk down the aisle, accept my brokenness, accept my messiness, and just walk down the aisle. And as I walked down the aisle, as I took that first step of faith and started walking down the aisle, I, everything started getting clean, <laughs> like the dress, the stains would come off. And I just kept looking at Jesus and looking in his eyes. And as I looked in his eyes, I held my head high, even though I knew I was a mess, um, I had my held high, and the veil just started straightening out, and everything just started becoming the way that it should be. Um, but it was as I got closer to him, as I kept my eyes on him, and took my eyes off myself, and focused on him, and I just got cleaned up. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I didn't really have to do a whole lot. And that's true of our sanctification. I just felt like it was symbolic of like our process of growing in the Lord, our process of becoming more like Jesus. It's not something that we can do or even have to do. We just have to focus on loving him, receiving his love. Like, he was staring at me with eyes of love, and I'm like, how can he love me like this? I look terrible. Like, who would want a bride that looked like this, you know? But it was pure love. It was like, wow, he accepts me completely as I am. And so I just felt this encouragement from the Lord, just, just be real, you know? Like, just be real with people. Just... Be real with who you are, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to do this work. And I just felt like a release in my spirit that he was going to do it. And I, he's, I still feel that when I try to take things into my own hands or try to make myself a better person or try to do things 
And he's like, I'm going to do it, you know, and just learning to surrender and letting him do it. And, uh, and it's the same thing in, any, in a relationship, too. I just see people striving and trying so hard to have a good marriage or trying so hard to be a good parent. And yes, we, we need to try. And yes, we need to be intentional about these things. But we also need, there's a release that comes when we literally, you know, give it to God and say, God, I can't, I can't be a good wife. I, there's nothing in me that's good, right? There's really nothing, <laughs> literally. Sometimes I feel like I'm running on empty. I, I, don't, I think I forgot to say I have six children, so that's part of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> little part of it. Um, <laughs> where you just feel, you know, you're running on empty sometimes, and the only thing that can fill us is, is the Holy Spirit, literally. And, and that's when we really get filled is when we realize how empty we are. I'm sure you've seen this in your own lives where you come to the end of yourself, and then there's God. There he is all the time. And I just, I want to get there quicker. I, I just want to get to that point quicker where I'm like, I need you, Lord. I need you. I really need you, Lord. I need you all the time. I need you every second. <laughs> I need you every minute, you know, because somehow in my brain, I still think I need to arrive somewhere where I've got it all together. And I really, I don't. And I won't. Because <laughs> he does. And I love that. It's so much more freedom. Awesome. So the second thing, so how we see ourselves is number one important and how much love we know we have. The second thing that I feel is really, really important is how we see others. And um, that, that has just transformed my life um, as well, just thinking about how I look at others around me. I once heard a message about how when we're interacting with a spouse or other people, we need to wear grace glasses. This is what I need when I look at, right? These are awesome. These are great. I need these when I am interacting with other people. Grace, blood of Jesus, right? Red, hearts for love. This is what I need when I interact with other people. This is what we need. We need to have grace glasses. Like I said, especially in marriage or parenting or close intimate relationships, it's so easy to see the other person's faults. You know, they're right there. And when I wear my grace glasses, when we put on our grace glasses, <laughs> we look at them through the lens of the Lord. And we can even ask him to give us his eyes for them, his heart for them. Um, and sometimes we forget because, you know, it's our spouse, so they're just there, you know. They're always there, whatever. We forget that we need grace glasses sometimes for the, the most intimate relationships that we have, the closest, the people we rub shoulders with every day at work or wherever. We need grace glasses. We need to look at them the way Jesus does, see the potential in them, see Jesus in them, um, Christ in them, the hope of glory, and to be able to, uh, to see them in that way. Um, so, and I look, visual things really helped me. So when I heard this message about having grace glasses, the person didn't have these cool glasses. <laughs> so I said, I got to get those because I'm very visual. <laughs> and I could picture them when the per other person was talking. So I'm like, I need these things. So... Anyway, so I just want to look at really quick some of the symptoms, symptoms that we see in our lives and our marriages or whatever when we, when we don't experience the love of God and we're not able to wear grace glasses with one another. This is what I see happening. A lot of times we'll become defensive. So if someone, like I gave the example about parenting my children, if my children say, I'm not a good listener. If I'm not 
getting my God's love on, <laughs> if I'm not feeling God's love, then I can get really down on myself. You know, I could go into a negative spiral. I could be like, wow, I failed as a parent, you know. Some of my kids are in their 20s, and now it's too late. You know, I could go into a very negative thought process. But when I'm aware that it's Christ in me, the hope of glory that is parenting <laughs> by his grace, I can release those feelings, and I can be like, yeah, I want to be a better listener. It's never too late to be a better listener. Even if my kids were grown, you know, married and had their own children, it's never too late to be a better mom, ever. And I can be a better spiritual mom to people that I work with or whatever. So it's never too late, never too late um, to be more like Jesus. <laughs> Now's the time to start. It's never too late. <laughs> um, you know, so then if we're defensive, sometimes we can't handle criticism. And as you know, a lot of roles we have in life, we have to receive feedback. When you put yourself out there, you know, I'm starting this counseling center. I'm sure I'm going to get feedback about it. And it might not be like, woohoo, this is wonderful. You know, maybe we didn't send out a mailing the right way. Or my open house invitations actually had a misspelling on them. Or <laughs> I was like, okay, Lord, <laughs> this is great. You know, you think you're doing this wonderful thing. And then, oh, yeah. We're imperfect, <laughs> of course. Um, when we have a poor view of ourselves, we, we also can try to strive for power or influence situations. And that's what I find when I'm not walking in a place of being filled with the Holy Spirit and when I'm not walking in the awareness of how much God loves me. I try to make things happen on my own. I get a little controlling. And I think it's because I'm not trusting the Holy Spirit. I'm not letting the Holy Spirit flow through me. So I try to manipulate or control situations that God's like, I've got this, you know, I'm, I'm going to get this. And I'll give you an example, you know, with a spouse, this is the typical, the nagging thing with the spouse, you know, that everybody talks about. But I get a lot more naggy when I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. I feel really bad for my husband <laughs> when I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like that thing that needs to be fixed or that thing that we said we were going to do a month ago and it's not done, you know. It bothers me a lot more when I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I can be like, Lord, by the grace of God, we will fix that thing that's been broken forever. You know, by the grace of God, we, we will one day do this, you know. And it's only by God's grace. And I'm thankful that, that my husband, um, you know, he as well wants to be more like Jesus and walk in the Spirit. But I know, I know not everybody has that. And so it's not conditional on them. That's the thing. The Holy Spirit can touch anyone, anywhere. So it's not conditional on them wanting to be more like Jesus too, although it's helpful. <laughs> but it's not conditional because we, we can operate in that no matter what. So we also tend to just put walls up with each other and with our spouses when we're, when we're feeling um, not good about ourselves. Or maybe our spouse is critical of us because they're not wearing their grace glasses, right? So if they're not wearing their grace glasses, they're they might be critical of us, but we can still put on our grace glasses, right? So then we're protected from when we feel criticized or when and those things are happening. We can still walk in love toward them and try to hear their heart. That's another thing God's been speaking to me too is to try to hear beyond the words. A lot of times all we hear is words when we're speaking with people, but there's a lot more underneath people's words. And what's, go what's going on in the heart? The Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's going on in their heart? Maybe they're hurt by us, something we did a couple of days ago, and um, they're talking to us out of a place of hurt. So 
so maybe the Holy Spirit can show us to go back to that thing that happened two days ago or a week ago and talk through that in a way and bring forgiveness and say, you know, I think you might still be hurt by something I did or whatever, and just really practically apply this, this grace that we've been given, practically apply it, and even be willing to go to that person. The Bible says to go, if you know someone's offended with you, to go to them and be reconciled. So even if it's your spouse holding something against you, you can go to them if the Holy Spirit's showing you that, you know, there's something that they're bitter about. Or you could, you know, you can confess, I know that I've been, I haven't really been walking in the Holy Spirit this week. <laughs> I apologize. You know, I know that's not how God wants me to walk. And and the Lord can bring that kind of healing and stuff, too. So, getting a little bit off my notes, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so, I want to talk a little bit about something God's been speaking to me about as well, is um, just some of this, you know, applies to general interactions in marriage and things like that, but there's times when there's some really bad patterns going on. And I've, I've most recently been working with a couple of couples where there's actual physical abuse going on or things in the home are being broken, where anger has gotten to a heightened level where um, it's just really hard to dial it back, you know. And I just want to give you hope that if that is your situation, that the Lord wants to come into that situation as well. Um, and sometimes setting a boundary is the most loving thing that, a, that someone can do in those situations. But as we get stronger in the Lord and as we grow in the Holy Spirit, we can, we can, he sets a plumb line. The Lord sets a plumb line and he says, no, this is not how we are to be acting. And some, one person, someone can initiate and say, we're going we're gonna to rise up in the Holy Spirit and stop this cycle stop the cycle of abuse. And it just takes one person. A lot of times one person will come to see me and they're in a cycle of abuse in a family. And I'll say, let's, let's pray about this and let's focus on this. And sometimes it means setting a boundary, a big boundary, where there is a separation for a period of time or things like that. Sometimes it means bringing the spouse in and saying, look, you know, physical abuse is not, it's not okay. It's not okay to hurt people. It's not okay to cut people down to a very low size verbally or mentally or emotionally, that's not okay. And I've had to say that to a few people most recently. Because a lot of times people grow up in that and they think it's normal or it's what's in their tool belt. I, think, I feel like a lot of times we just go to what's in our tool belt. So my parents yelled and screamed at me. That's how children should be controlled. That's how I'm going to do it. And it's just a very natural thing that happens. But I really believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants to come in and show us a different way. And like I said, it's never too late to learn a different way. You could have parented your kids that way for 15 years, and it's still time to make a change. It's still time to stop and say, let's do it God's way. Let's try it God's way. And God's way really works. It really does. I see it over and over and over and over. And sometimes people are blown away because, they, again, like I said, with grace, they feel like they're not doing anything, you know? So when you stop and you let the Holy Spirit start to move in your home, in a way you're kind of taking your hands off of it, you know, and letting God move. And, and sometimes it could be, you know, a child, even a child whose behavior is just seems like it's out of control. 
And the Holy Spirit's got that too. But we need to press in. We need to press in and say, God, have your way. Lord, you move. You show me how to speak, how to love, how to, how to train, how to teach, and how to discipline through your Holy Spirit. How, through your Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit is love. So that's, that's my prayer, is that, that God will just break these chains. We were talking last week about breaking chains, things that we bring into relationships from our family backgrounds that just seem normal to us. But when that Holy Spirit starts convicting us and we start realizing, no, we don't have to do that. There's a different way. And really seeking God, we can find that way. Yeah, I struggled a lot when my kids were little with not knowing how to discipline or train them. Because I felt like all I really had in my tool belt was either anger or nothing, <laughs> doing nothing. <laughs> I felt like those were my two choices. I either needed to like scream and yell or do nothing. And over the years, I've striven, strived to um, find a way to find a balance between that. And I, I literally asked the Lord over and over, please deliver me from a spirit of anger. Because I literally felt like something would come over me when they misbehaved. I felt it was almost like it wasn't part. I knew it wasn't part of me because it wasn't the Holy Spirit. But I didn't know how to overcome that. And I knew it was a generational thing that had come down. And it just seemed like it was the only way to do things. So I prayed and I prayed and I asked God. And it, it took a while. It wasn't like an overnight thing. But I prayed that he would deliver me from a spirit of anger so that I wouldn't parent out of anger, so I wouldn't discipline out of anger. Yes, some things my kids do do make me angry. Um, but another thing that's been helpful is um, I had heard someone speaking about this, that anger is the result of a blocked goal. And I share this a lot with people I work with because anger can feel intangible sometimes. But literally, like, if you think about it, when you get angry about something or something bothers you, it's because you have a goal and it's being blocked, right? It can be with your spouse. It can be with your children. Whatever. You want something to happen, and they're in your way. <laughs> it's like you want to get out the door and your kids are not coming with you. <laughs> that can make you angry because your goal is to get out. Their goal is to do whatever they're doing, and that can be a frustrating situation. So, but it's really helped me to think about that, like what my goals are in every situation. Because usually it's very true that when I get upset is when my goals are being blocked. Something's not happening that I would like to happen. Um, but it helps me to acknowledge it in the situation. So now I'm like, oh, I'm getting mad. What is my goal? <laughs> Why am I getting mad? I'm, what do I want to have happen? And then what does my spouse want to have happen? Or what do the kids want to have happen? And I'll literally talk to people about it. And I'll be like, so, you know, to my kids, so I want to go, we're going to, the, you said we were going to the playground. So I was thinking we were going to the playground, and I wanted to go to the playground. <laughs> what about you guys? Do you want to go to the playground? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, but, you know, we want to watch the show or whatever, you know. Okay, well, if we want to get to the playground, we have to turn off the show. You know, it takes a lot of time sometimes to parent this way or have a marriage this way because it's a lot of talking. And sometimes we don't want to talk. We just want things to happen. And we want to be able to read each other's minds. And we want to be able to, you know, this magically happy family to appear. But <laughs> it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of just being open with where we're at and what our goal is and what their goal is. Um, my husband and I started this thing on Saturday mornings. I share this with a lot of couples because 
Saturday morning was like our own, Saturdays are like our only unstructured day. So Monday through Friday, you know, you got school, work, whatever. Sunday you go to church, whatever. So all those days you kind of know what you're doing. And then we have these Saturdays. And I was getting to the point where I was dreading Saturdays because I was like, ugh, it's going to be terrible. Nothing's going to happen that I want to happen. <laughs> and I just felt like this victim of Saturdays. And it, I realized it was because we weren't really communicating about what we wanted Saturdays to look like. And we both had a completely different idea of what Saturdays should look like. Um, so we started this thing, either Friday night or Saturday morning. So what are we going to do tomorrow? What, what do you think the day should look like? What do you think the day should look like? And then we would kind of put our ideas out there, and they'd be totally different. <laughs> like, well, I kind of wanted to like kick back and do this, and oh, I kind of. There's always one that like wants to. It maybe is more task. It seems like one that's more task oriented, and one that's more, let's kick back and have fun oriented, and then that can create some conflict for sure. Or maybe it vacillates back and forth between who wants to kick back and who wants to do a project. But anyway. Um, so it just talking through that though really helped, and then we could just take the day in like chunks of time. Like, oh yes, we'll go have fun for three hours, and then we'll get this task done for two hours. But but this takes negotiating. It takes talking. It takes just being upfront with what our goal, what our agenda is. Because I feel like a lot of times we have these agendas, and they're very hidden or under the surface, and then we end up kind of trying to manipulate each other to get what we want, and it just gets really nasty. So I really feel like that's an insight that the Lord's been giving me about working together as couples and families is just to really talk. And even doing, we, can, we even do that with our kids, you know. When we be, even before we go on a family, oh, we learned this, before we go on a family vacation, what are all of our expectations of this vacation, <laughs> right? The kids are like, we want to go to an amusement park every day. Sorry, one day out of the seven. Um, so we knocked that off. So, you know, we negotiate. We all say what our goals are, what our agenda is, what we want to see happen. And it's been a lot more fun on vacation because by the end of the week, we can look back and say, everybody got to do something they wanted to do on vacation. Also, everybody had to sacrifice on vacation a little bit and do something maybe they didn't want to do, but it, we're a family. So we, we work together, you know? So it's fun. <laughs> awesome. So my second scripture that... I wanted to share with you, which basically summarizes what I was just talking about, is in 1 Peter 4.8. And again, with the grace glasses. Above all, constantly echo God's intense love for one another. For love will be a canopy over a multitude of sins. I just love that because I, I can picture a canopy, you know? And I can picture God's love covering my sins and my marriage marriages sins and my family sins and all my relationships i can picture him covering that and i'm like this is awesome he covers it he covers it so i can cover other people's sins i can i can look at them through god's eyes i can love them and i can believe the best of them i feel like a lot of times the enemy wants us to believe the worst of um, people that we're in relationship with our spouse or whatever he wants us to think that they're out to get us or that they don't really love us and when we believe the best, I just feel like we draw out the best um, in each other. Grace glasses help us to look for the best in each other and not the beast. That's one thing that is so important to me is that we look for the best and not the beast. We look for the best and not the worst. We look, look for Jesus and not the sin. 
And everyone is made in God's image. Everyone, the Bible says that we're all created in God's image. So even if you're in relationship with someone who, quote unquote, is not you know, a Christian, God has stamped his image in every person. When we look at people, we can see the image of God. We can see, we can see the footprint of God if we look hard enough, and we can really tap into loving that person for who they are and who God meant for them to be. And seeing beyond, almost like a prophetic, a prophetic vision, a vision of this person, of who God made them to be, and then just believing the best of that. Um, and the last point I have, or the last key I, that God's been showing me recently, and I've been praying a lot about this too, like, what's the key? What's the key? <laughs> I, was, I like things really simple. Um, I need to be able to communicate like simple points and simple truths. So I woke up one morning and I heard this phrase in my mind, and it was that humility is the gateway to freedom in life and relationships. Humility is the key. Now, to break that down, <laughs> let's look at the next, the last scripture. I just feel like we need to look at that first. Um, it's Psalm 1827. And it is, to the humble you bring heaven's deliverance, but the proud and haughty you disregard. That's what I, that's what I, I don't know about you, but that's what I want, heaven's deliverance. <laughs> I want heaven's deliverance in my life. I want to be delivered of things that are not of God, and I want to see that in other people's lives. To receive that deliverance requires humility. It requires a laying down of our own life, a dying to ourself and embracing the cross just as Jesus did. Um, Jesus is our example of humility. He didn't wear a fancy crown. I was thinking about this. He's the king of kings, lord of lords. He wore a crown of thorns. You know, he laid in a manger. He came in a humble way, and he remained humble. He never <laughs> tried to take that, you know, um, authority in that way. He, took, he got authority by laying his life down. That's when the Holy Spirit could be poured out. And it's amazing to me that he said it's better for him to go. When he died and rose again and was resurrected, he said it's better for me to go because I'm leaving you the comforter, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus would literally be with each and every one of us and live within us. And that was the ultimate <laughs> ultimate gift is that we can each have Jesus living inside of us now because of what he did for us. And that is the key to life <laughs> in my mind. If I can really grasp this and then translate it into my relationships and into, into my daily life, it is so powerful. So I'm going to sum, sum up a little bit here. If the worship team would like to come up, that would be great. Um, So just to sum up, humility in relationships is key, number one. Um, having grace for one another and realizing how much God loves us. Um, facing our own sin and brokenness, but at the same time knowing how loved and accepted we are. It's amazing. Um, admitting that we don't know what we're doing a lot of the time it's in relationships. Just admitting that we need Jesus to show us how to do this thing. 
um, and that we need his help. And um, just stop, sometimes just stop doing it the way you're doing it, <laughs> literally. Sometimes God just tells me to stop doing things the way I do them and letting him show me. Marriage is where the rubber meets the road. It's where we're our most true and honest self, marriage and family. Um, and there's a safety there, but at the same time, the Lord wants to be a part of that and really enter into that. And as we humble ourselves, he can be exalted. The Bible says if we humble ourselves, he will be exalted. So as we humble ourselves before him and ask for his help, ask for his guidance and really press in, he can be exalted in our life and family. Can you, can you just imagine what our lives would look like if we walked in this reality? I know I talked about that at the beginning, but really being secure and assured of God's love for us, um, being able to let that overflow in our life to others and that it would spill over into our families and our extended families and our church family and spill over everywhere. Um, to me, that, that's, that's what revival looks like to me. <laughs> yeah, I asked God once, you know, I said, I was praying and I said, I want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done on this earth. And I do. <laughs> and I was praying that and he's like, well, let me rule and reign in your family. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> let me be king. Because if, if we're praying for his kingdom to come, then he's the king. You know, I'm not the king or queen of my home. Jesus is the king of my home and my life. Yeah. So I pray that for all of us. So I'm going to end in prayer. Just a prayer blessing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have overcome. You have overcome, Lord. Thank you that you are the, the picture of humility and beauty and grace and honor. Lord, we glorify you today. We thank you that you died so that your spirit can live in us, Lord, and be resurrected on this earth, Lord, your glory, your presence, your power. And I just want to pray that over every home, every family, every individual represented here, Lord, that they would be covered by your canopy of love and grace. Lord, that the enemy could no longer remind them of their sin in a way that would bring them down, but they would remember that when you look at them, Lord, you see Jesus and you smile and you're so happy to see them, Lord. And I just pray that you would wash away, just as you washed away, all that dirt on that wedding dress that I described, that you would wash away the sins of your bride through your love, Lord, that we would look on you, that we would see your eyes of love and grace and just receive that. Thank you, Father. And I pray that over this church and over our region, over our lives in Jesus' name.